BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, The Traditionalist. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. We are recording on Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Fall is here. This is the first day of fall. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Well, later we'll be talking about some of the things I do and what Victor does at victorhanson.com. I want to recommend, as we have a weekly, that you visit his website. We've got a lot to talk about today on The Traditionalist. The first thing we will be talking about is uh, the very interesting press conference at the White House featuring Boris Johnson, the prime minister of England, and Joe Biden. And we'll get to that right after this important message. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show, The Traditionalist. Victor, my friend, I'm sure you saw that weird press conference, Boris Johnson asking a few questions of the, at least the British press that were in the room and the White House staff kind of comically, crazily shooing reporters out, shouting over them so that Joe Biden could not really be asked any question, hear any questions, answer any questions. Victor, that's kind of a sorry state for the leader of the free world to be babied, maybe the wrong word, but what are your thoughts about what happened? Well, in their defense, Jack, he has la la goria, I guess you'd call it. He's able, Joe Biden is able to say anything, any time, anywhere, to anybody that can lose his presidency. That's just a fact. You know, Churchill in World War I, when he was uh, Lord of the Admiralty, he said uh, of Admiral Jellicoe that had so much power as the, as the Admiral of the Home Fleet at the Battle of Jutland, he said he was the only man in the war that could have lost it in one afternoon meaning if he was completely abjectly incompetent, all of these dreadnoughts would be wiped out. And then the Germans, even with their reduced forces, could go and, you know, bomb the shore of Great Britain and, you know, use U-boats with unlimited success. That's Joe Biden. On any given day, he can lose the presidency or destroy the Democratic Party. So what are they going to do? They don't, they cannot ever let him say anything that's unscripted. It's bad enough that he doesn't follow the uh, teleprompter. 
Now you're going to say, well, yeah, Professor Hansen, Victor, but you're not being equal. Trump could do the same thing. Yeah, Trump could. He could say things that were controversial, but he could say them in a way, even with mangled syntax, that were at least coherent. And you could argue against them, but you knew what he meant. But Joe Biden can say things that make no sense at all. Nobody knows, has any idea of what he's talking about. And so they have wisely now decided that they're going to wheel him out, read off the script, and wheel him back. And the press made a Faustian bargain during the 2020 campaign, and they said, we are hard left progressives, we are politicos first and journalists second, and we will do our part as a part of our fusion bargain to make sure the American people do not know how leveraged incompetent, unhinged Joe Biden is, and that's what they've done. And so every once in a while, I think all they request of the administration, Jack, is just don't embarrass us. Just don't allow the British press secretary or the British press to go at Boris Johnson, and then the people are going to ask us why we didn't. So don't, don't put us in that position where we look like the hacks that we are. So that's their only worry, that they've so compromised their integrity and independence that it's being rubbed in. I mean, we know what politicians do from Barack Obama. Once you sell your soul to the diabolical president, he doesn't appreciate that magnanimity or reciprocate it in like kind. He keeps it with contempt. Remember Ben Rhodes? Yeah. These people know nothing, he said. We created an echo chamber and fed them things about the Iran deal, and they lapped it up. That's what he said. Or Jonathan Gruber, remember? Just basically can lie, and the American people will believe anything. That was what the Obama message was. It was absolute contempt for the press because they had sold their soul, and that's what we're seeing now with Biden to the nth degree. Well, not all the American people believe uh, everything, Victor. So Gallup's uh, uh, poll is out, and uh, Biden's uh, approval rating continues to fall significantly. It, it stated at 43% support. I didn't get the numbers, but it's much higher support numbers among Black Americans. But there it has fallen sharply. Also, I have a feeling it's the numbers actually today would be far lower than that. Uh, part of that, Victor, it would be would have to do, I think, maybe with the border. And so maybe let's talk about the border for a minute. Two yeah, things. Let's, let's go. But just before you do, sure. Jack, yeah. I so rudely interrupt you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's your show. Go ahead. <laughs> where does he turn for good news? Afghanistan, he's tried. He said, basically, Trump did it. But even though he did it, I did it. But it was good. We got all up. He said that to the UN. We got it. And the, the polls are about 70 percent. Negative about the way he got. Is it the border? No. How about inflation? I'm keeping inflation to, you know, 8% per annum. Or is it uh, Anwar and Keystone and our, his energy policy? I, I cut us back 3 million barrels of, of oil. And that's why you, all, you guys in California are paying $455. And that's great. You're reducing your consumption of fossil fuels. Or you know what? I can really forecast we're going to have natural gas shortages. Guess what? We're going to be short coal and natural gas for your heating bill. You're not going to be polluting the atmosphere. Or is he going to say, you know, I really got divisive on critical race theory. It was really good. We knew, we were getting along too well with this Martin Luther King junk. And so I came back and got Kendi out there and Ta-Nehisi Coates' ideology. And, you know, you got to discriminate to stop discrimination. You got to be a racist to stop racism. So what is he going to say? 
I, I can't think of anything. AOC, the squad, right. New Green Deal. Well, there's nothing there because he's got this on Midas touch. Everything he touches turns to draws. Yeah. And worse. And worse. So uh, two things. Well, we stick on the numbers, Victor. Part of the free fall among black voters of black Americans, not necessarily voters, is the uh, vaccine mandate, which has is, is gone over like a lead balloon in particular with that community. If you want to say anything about that and about the vaccine mandate, please go ahead. Well, the problem with the, these mandates are multifarious. First of all, I think, but who's counting, Jack? I think it was on over 10 occasions when asked as candidate Biden presidential elect Biden and President Biden about the mandates, he said no, didn't believe in them. And why did he say no? That he had demagogued the issue. And he said, you know, the 350,000 or so people who had died at COVID when he inaugurated were all the fault of Donald Trump. He said he killed them. And then he said that nobody had had a vaccination, even though 17 million had, until he was inaugurated. So he was the person who came into office during the natural beginning uh, wane of the pre-Delta COVID. And he just assumed, as many professionals did, that the more people had it, the more the people were being vaccinated. As he said on July 4th, we would be returning to normal. And that didn't happen. And uh, the Delta variant came and, you know, we're up to about 660 600,060, 600,070. We're going to get close to 700,000 dead. Right. According to Joe Biden's logic, he's uh, going to be culpable for half of them. And if you do it per day in office after the arrival of the virus in March of 2020, he has more dead per day probably than Donald Trump did on average. That's not an right. unfair comparison, but since he deals in unfair comparison, it's going right. to boomerang on him. So he, he's given us these mixed messages, but the central truth says he can't explain to you or me or anybody a couple of things. A, if you have antibodies, we were told that that was inferior to vaccination. Now, nobody believes that. They believe that naturally acquired immunity, the entire virus in your system creates an entire immunity and not a particle or a replica or semblance of it as a vaccination works. In other words, there might be 100 million people who have natural acquired immunity. That doesn't matter. They're going to have to be vaccinated. And some of them are going to get a greater chance of side effects to increase those antibodies even more so, which begs the question, if don't. Joe Biden, remember Jack is telling us if you have acquired immunity, and yes, it is better than vaccinated immunity, nevertheless, you must have both. Right. You must have vaccinations. So then people are going to say, well, I never got COVID. I only got vaccinated. And since we know being infected is better, and since we know that you want both, then I guess I'm going to have to go out and expose myself and get COVID. Right. So then right. I have both. Or they're going to say, okay, Every U.S. soldier's got to have the vaccination, whether or not they've had COVID. Thousands have had COVID. So they're on a plane on a C-17, and they're full of Afghan refugees. Uh, and guess what? They have to be vaccinated, even though they've had COVID. But the people on the plane, even though they have not had COVID, perhaps, don't need to be vaccinated. 
So think of the logic there or think of the logic on the border of 2 million people scheduled in a fiscal year to come across the border without even asking them. These are not U.S. citizens, not even asking them to be vaccinated. So when he has a mandate that federal employees must be vaccinated, what are those people in ICE thinking? Okay, I got to get vaccinated. I had COVID, so I had to still get vaccinated. And now I'm arresting this guy from Haiti and this guy from you know, Guatemala and this guy from Mexico and this guy from who knows where. And they're breathing on me and they've got, they, I'm being exposed every day, but they don't have to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't the federal government have booths all through that group? Why do we have, there's a federal government, government, a collective Karen who says, I'm going to hunt you down wherever you go in your house, when you go out to eat and you're going to get vaccinated. And yet you have all these people with all these maladies sitting there and we could easily put a little booth and say, you know what? If you're going to be an illegal alien, come in, we're going to vaccinate you. They won't do that because they don't value citizens. They do not value citizenship. It's a construct. For them, the fact that you are walking on the soil of the United States is equal to being a citizen. There's no difference in the left's mind between a resident, a legal, or a legal, and a citizen. They just simply don't believe in citizenship. Well, Victor, that... Uh, now down to the border, which you've just uh, touched on, more than touched on. Um, do you have any thoughts about this um, bogus act of racism, the, the uh, agent on a horse with reins, but he was whipping? Well, he wasn't whipping. Of course, this is one of the few times um, uh, liberal media has put any attention on the border is with this contrived act of racism. Um, what thoughts do you come to mind over this I think uh, incident? One, the left knows that this has been optically, public relations wise, politically a disaster for Joe Biden. You cannot have 12, 13,000 people in hot weather bathing, urinating, defecating in a polluted river without a pandemic on their rise at a time of a pandemic after you had said that Donald Trump was Hitler as we had General Michael Hayden, remember, said that the cages were analogous to Birkenau, Birkenau, and uh, Birkenthew and uh, Auschwitz. So that same mentality is silent now and everybody knows. So they're looking for something and they have a few pictures of people on horses that are reining their horses and the, the reins are loose and they look like they're whipping people. They're trying to block them from coming in. And I can tell you well aside, um, if you're an impenetrable object and somebody's going to run into you, there's going to be a, a two, there's going to be a collision of sorts, but these people are not riding into the water to ride people down right. the shores to block their interests. Third, I have a little, uh, I have an undisclosed aspect of my life, Jack, that you don't know about. But your horse, your horseman. Uh, well, my Swedish grandfather, who was disabled in World War One, was an excellent horseman, and they had uh. drafted him to be a teamster to train African American quartermasters in World War One. And so he—that's what he did. And then he went into combat and was severely wounded and disabled. But in his disability in his late twenties, he had a little 40 acre farm and he broke horses for a living and had a little dairy. So when I came of age in the sixties, 
we would go down there every weekend and he taught us how to ride and he had some pretty wild horses and we would ride only bareback first and he teach us how to saddle. So I spent, oh, most of the Saturdays when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 riding. And then oh. when he passed away, his donkey Jack and his, his final horse Jack and Jim were transported in his creaky old trailer, which had two flats on the way over to our farm. <laughs> and we quickly built a corral and a barn. Uh, we did our barn. And yeah. from my high school career, I rode and we were, they were reined horses, the rein across the side of the neck. And I can tell you that they were pretty wild. And so when I would get on them, not being an experienced rider, my father who was a, an excellent rider and grown up riding when I would ride around the farm or when we had Easter or Thanksgiving, everybody was around, we'd always have the horses out. And even when I was a professor, my father then wanted to go back to his childhood when he was whittled when my mother died. So he bought four horses. And in his way of thinking, he was in the 70s. You never buy a domesticated broke horse. You always buy a, a wild one. And that's what my grandfather did is break them. So we had them out on a stake and let them go around in circles, you know, and tried to break them. So we were actually teaching our own children how to ride these horses that were not broke. And I, I got bucked off in my 30s a lot. Most of them were Welsh ponies, so they weren't. And Shetland ponies are very mean, but these Welsh ponies were nicer, but they weren't full-size horses for the kids. So my kids grew up riding them. But my point is this, is that when you have a lot of people around a horse and the horse gets edgy, I can tell you that you try to get the rain, the rain alongside of his neck and you try to get hit his peripheral vision to see the reins that you're in control and you're, right. and people startle the horse. You get the, you feel like you're going to buck, buck off. You don't, you can't, even a good horseman. And I wasn't a good horseman, but I rode a lot. Uh, it's kind of scary. And if you take a picture, I, I, I can visualize these April and May and June parties of my family uh, out on the ranch here and four horses, you know, being tethered and eating the grass and then people jumping on and off of them and then riding around in the middle of people. And believe me, it looked exactly like that scene on the border. The idea that people are just going to, you know, make a, a impenetrable wall of horse flesh and the horse are going to be mute and inert and stand there while people are rushing at them is that's impossible so i don't think they were whipping anybody i think it was just chaos well victor i think it's a good point to remind our listeners again about victorhanson.com uh, there is a cornucopia of original content that you write uh, you have written you'll find it there you write a lot also you can only read it there. Much of much of what Victor writes, he writes, of course, for American Greatness. We talk about those pieces on another podcast, The Classicist. He's written some pieces recently for a new criterion. But much of what Victor writes is for victorhanson.com. And if you want to read it, you should subscribe. It's very affordable. So we strongly recommend uh, that. Also, uh, on the website is a link for The Dying Citizen, Victor's forthcoming book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America. Uh, I'm Jack Fowler. I'm I, I the director of the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic, and my websites are uh, centerforcivilsociety.com and 
Civil Thoughts. That's for the weekly newsletter I write for American Philanthropic. So please uh, consider subscribing. It's free. Victor, let's move on to uh, we got a lot to talk about, about more about Biden's. In this case, though, I think Hunter Biden. But first, let's uh, look at the Democrat, the growing hate. And I think hate may be the right word of progressive Democrats for Israel. And there was a contention this week about uh, Israel's Iron Dome missile defense, which is funded in part by the United States. I don't think that was some agreement that came about with the Obama administration. This funding was absent from this monster bill that funded everything in the world except Iron Dome missile defense. There was a vote today. It was I, I don't know the result. Uh, consequence, I think it, was, it probably passed, but a separate legislation to restore that funding. Yeah, Victor, uh, first of all, I'm, you know what your your thoughts are political thoughts about uh, well general thoughts about this uh, uh, hatred of Israel, growing hatred amongst the, Dem- the growing part of the Democratic Party, and uh, you know how could a, how could a bill uh, that came from Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer have been not had this uh, in it? I mean, it had everything else in humanity in the bill? How, how come not this? We know, Jack, that. The Democratic Party represents the left-wing youth movement in the United States. And I can tell you as a person who's on campus, it's anti-Semitic. Stanford University uh, had a flyers when Ben Shapiro appeared as a speaker that looked like bug, bug spray. So you're really allowing students to put on posters that deliberately try to resonate gas that's lethal. And when we were accused in the academic Senate, we being Scott Atlas and my colleague, Neil Ferguson, our accuser, who said that we were intemperate in our remarks, was putting anti-Semitic literature on his own website with impunity. So it's everywhere on campus on the left. And many of the old time Democratic politicians are now retiring. So they just take three off top of my head, say Chuck Schumer, Barbara Boxer, and Dianne Feinstein. Barbara Boxer has been retired for a number of years. Dianne Feinstein, I think is 89. Chuck Schumer is kind of marginalized. But these were the traditional liberal internationalists that were Jewish, but not just de facto Jewish, but they were interested in the survival and, and integrity of Israel. And they had a lot of supporters, Jewish and not, in the Democratic Party. And Republicans, remember, were about 50-50 in the 50s and 60s versus Israel. And then they gradually got up to 70, 80 and above support for Israel. And now what's happened in the reverse direction, this new left-wing movement has taken over the Democratic Party. Part of it is because of immigration. Part of it is progressivism. We know that it's anti-Semitic because Omar herself, remember that quote about it's the Benjamin's baby and Tlaib. And having the map with Israel not on it and AOC's various comments. So they are in control, at least of the optics and the the center of attention in that party. The second thing is, and they run it. I'm not saying the old breed won't, the old guard, whatever we call them, won't, the old standbys will not quietly, you know, Nancy Pelosi is part of the old Democratic Guard or the old breed of Democratic politicians. She will not fix it behind the scenes because it is embarrassing. 
But think about it for a second. This is a defensive system. It's not selling, you know, surface to surface or air to surface or any type of offensive weapon. It's not giving, you know, riot gas or anything. This is just a system that protects the state of Israel, which includes well over a million Arabs, 20% of the population. And so you're denying the Israelis financial help to protect Israeli citizens, among whom are not only Arab Americans, but people on the West Bank in close proximity to the border. And remember that this is a very expensive system because Israel's enemies flood the zone with cheap offensive weapons. And the Iron Dome then at $80,000 versus $800 knocks them down. Right. So when that last uh, flurry of missile attacks, Israel spent a fortune. The people who tried to destroy Israel did not, but they did protect the Jewish people and the Arab American, uh, Arab Israelis. So it was a defensive system. They don't even want it to have a defensive system. And then finally, think of the irony, Jack. I was thinking this right now. So Joe Biden and his administration abandoned over $80 billion, whether it's weapons right. alone or right. weapons that aggregates the training cost in them or prorated over 20 years, whatever method of calculation we use, it was huge. We've given Israel in today's dollar, dollars, we didn't give it much until after the 67 year war, 67 war. But if you look at that period, I guess you could call it a 73 or 74 year period, we've given them in today's dollars about $100 billion. So basically, they are telling us that they're not too upset that because they haven't said much that we allowed $85 billion of that money to go into the hands of terrorists in the Middle East. But they're very concerned about $1 billion to help preserve lives in a defensive sense. It's really, it's really weird. If they're so worried about American weaponry being used by people, wouldn't they say, Joe Biden, how dare you let 80 billion plus dollars in the hands of the Taliban that's going to kill innocents rather than how dare you spend a a billion dollars to protect the citizenry of a democratic and consensual society like Israel. But that's what happens when you're anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. You're not logical because you can't be logical if you're a supporter of constitutional government. You look at what Israel is compared to its neighbors. Yeah. Well, the roots are back. They go, they do go long back. I mean, it seems now like maybe it was even 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago with Jesse Jackson and Jaime town. So it's, uh, it's not well, like Al this Sharpen, hasn't been. Remember uh, Al Sharpton's uh, I'll get on my Yarmulke and come over here. Yeah. Get on your Yarmulke and come over here. And it was dim Jews. And then remember Reverend Jeremiah Wright. I think I'm quoting him exactly by memory right now. Uh, I haven't talked to Obama. Dim Jews won't let me talk to him. And then I think he was peddling literature from his uh, pulpit. Remember when Obama was, uh, when he was the confidant of Barack Obama and his personal pastor, as Obama said in his memoir, he said that he passed out literature that said the Israelis had built Arab-sensitive guided missiles that could go out and look at Arabs and kill them and distinguish them from Jews. So the whole black Islamicist and black nationalist movement of which the democratic core now is heavily influenced has been anti-Semitic for a long time. Yeah. 
maybe we should talk about this another time, Victor, also. But uh, I saw something recently about ethnic cleansing, and it was a list of about nine nations which had elite, small Jewish communities uh, and, and no longer do, including Afghanistan. The last uh, last uh, Jew was uh, left the country uh, last week, I believe. But it, let's it's get everywhere. Back. Just just as ahead. Sure. it's everywhere. I think yesterday I read the San Diego Teachers Union went on record that they that uh, Israel was not a legitimate state. I don't know at what period we get to peak anti-Semitism, anti-Israeliism, right. where the Democratic Party can no longer hide it. When I saw that picture of Middle Easterners going out of their cars and overturning tables, remember in Los Angeles? Yeah. Uh, this summer during uh, the May quote-unquote war and the Democratic Party was silent and, or they just called it a hate crime or when I look at FBI statistics of hate crimes and I see that Jewish Americans are right up there with the most targeted per capita minority of almost anybody and that uh, Muslim Americans and uh, African Americans are most likely the, the perpetrators of hate crimes against Jews in the case of blacks against Asian Americans. And I see the efforts to hide that by the, uh, the left-wing community. We just saw, just peripherally related, Jack, we saw uh, a group of African-Americans who wanted to go into uh, a restaurant. Right. Was it in Staten Island? Carmine's. Yeah, yeah. It, was in, it was in Manhattan. Yeah. It was in Manhattan. Well, wherever yeah. it was. And then there was an Asian-American waitress who, who asked, as was required by statute and by her employers, to produce vaccination IDs. And she didn't have them. And then she was terribly assaulted and sent to the hospital. And yet, when you looked at the uh, media, there was no mention that she was an Asian-American attacked by African-Americans and maybe right. there was a racial element within it. However, had that waitress been, let's say, just for the sake of it, been African-American and there were three people from Texas who wore MAGA hats and were white, then we would have heard it all the time. So what I'm getting at is the democratic machine, the progressive project, it's going to have trouble hiding these these glaring inconsistencies right. that really anti-Semitism, which I I concede was largely a right wing phenomenon in the 1950s, has now become mostly a left wing progressive uh, enterprise. And the only shoe that hasn't dropped is at some point, one of two things are going to happen. Either Jewish Americans are going to forsake their fealty to the Democratic Party or that term Jewish Americans will be a construct. In other words, the third and fourth generation of the Jewish community either is so unconcerned with Israel or unconcerned right. with Jewish faith that it doesn't, it sees itself like I do myself Swedish. You know, if somebody came in and said, Victor, there's a, 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 there's a Swedish cause that you have to go down to Kingsbury right. and support. I, I mean, I would look at the merits, but I wouldn't identify with it because I was Swedish and, Maybe that's what's happening, you know. Yeah, breathe the reindeer, um, Victor. Let's let's uh, take on in a little time we have left. I think we have about ten minutes left. Uh, two Hunter Biden related uh, stories. Uh, one one I'm going to uh, play off of, of uh, James Freeman, great guy. You know, he's a columnist at the Wall Street Journal, and he has a, a piece uh, the other day. Uh, it's titled "Selling Access is a Scandal." about Joe Biden, not Hunter. And this has to do with Hunter, the new 
great artist. He has some um, shows coming up uh, allegedly late in this month. There's not much of the month left in New York and uh, Los Angeles uh, in um, uh, James's piece. He quotes from a, another piece by the Atlantic's Casey Michael, who wrote, at some point in the coming weeks, hundreds of thousands of dollars will be funneled to the son of the sitting American president, and none of us will know anything about who sent the money or where it originally came from or why anyone would choose to send it in the first place. Uh, Victor, your, your thoughts on, on uh, what is the meaning of Hunter Biden painter and the big guy? Yeah. I have a kind of an eccentric take on it that I've mentioned um, in print. And that is, so we know that Hunter Biden was involved in the Ukraine and Burisma, and we know that he was on a vice presidential jet to China. We know that Joe Biden was was exposed in the so-called missing Hunter Biden uh, laptop where he was the big, he was the big guy. He was Mr. 10%. Why the IRS hasn't looked at that or I don't know, because I'm, I would be very surprised if he reported all the income that came through his 10% venue. But what is striking about this, and then we know the Coke and he leaving the Coke. I think this is his third or fourth laptop he's left. We left his Coke app apparatus in a rented car. We have these selfies where he's semi-nude and worse. Okay, I can go on with the luridness, but that's all known. That's all known. This is 2021. His dad is president. So you, Mm -hmm. and we we know what happens when you have a Donald Nixon or, you know, a wayward- uh, Billy Carter. Billy Carter or a wayward uh, Clinton brother. Oh yeah, Roger. Roger Clinton, yeah, the team, the presidential team goes to them and they say, you know what, you're not going to do that anymore. And then he calls the president and says, and the president, oh, I love you, but, you know, can't do that. And they take care of business. But Joe Biden can't do that. And the question is, why? And the answer, I think, is that Hunter Biden, and now I'm extrapolating from the temper of his emails that I've read recently that have been, you know, Miranda's uh, the meeting has been very good on the New York Post, but there's also elements that have been released to the public. And it's, it's really amazing how angry he is at the big guy. He says to one of his relatives who wants money, I'm the one supporting this family. Right. I do all of the stuff. I don't get any credit. And I'm the moneymaker. And I've elevated, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing that I've made the Biden family dynasty wealthy. And I'm not going to and I'm tired of getting, uh, you know, pegged as the bad son. So I think what he's doing to his father and the people around him is I'm going to keep doing it. I'm flat broke. Uh, I drugged away all my money or partied it all away. I have nothing. I've been disgraced. And now that he's my father's president, they've shut me down because you can you can quid pro quo or you can hustle or you can grift when you're father is vice president but there's just too much too much heat when he's president and i resent that so i'm going to go ahead and do this art project with my mediocre talent and i'm going to make a mockery of the whole thing i'm going to draw these primitive pictures and then i'm going to have a guy auction them off to anonymous donors who think and maybe be correct that i will transmit their concerns to the appropriate people in the administration and even though my dad might say you know what you're not getting near me hunter you're toxic 
there will be thousands of his subordinates throughout the federal government who think they can win a approbation by saying, I helped Hunter, wink, nod. And so that's what th was going on. And, sure. and he's just saying, yeah, I'm a grifter. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And there are other means of the other members of the of the uh, if it, I won't call it a crime syndicate, but it does a great impersonation of one. In the, yeah. In the, and, and the media the brother. Too, the, think think yeah. of the media. This is the media, remember, that put a hold on. I guess that's the wrong word. Put a blackout on all reference before the election right. of the Hunter Biden laptop. Well, let, let's let's talk we had about James, that at remember yeah. James Clapper. Yeah. John Brennan, they and was it 50 CIA and former intelligence officers uh, circulated a petition where they completely right. lied and said that this was a product likely of Russian disinformation. Right. They said, yeah, this they, this was uh, the um, the laptop had, quote, all the classic earmarks of a Russian in information operation and, and that they were, quote, deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. And, Victor, this is, uh, I mean, wishful thinking, although it would be a, a great project for an enterprising journalist for the 50 or 51 that signed that letter. Uh, and then, uh, you know, what do you have to say now, now that some of these, this is, this is verified, this was his laptop, these emails that were in it and other things are authentic. And not only for those um, providing cover, this was, I think, in October this happened, providing cover for the Biden uh, election team, but also, as you mentioned, uh, the big tech, big media uh, access of censorship on this particular uh, point. Who made these decisions at NPR, various entities to not report on this to or the only thing they did report on was the bogus Russian claim or who at Google, who at uh, Twitter, et cetera, uh, were responsible for these decisions of suppressing the truth. Well, we know that the media, and I don't mean that term generically or loosely, but what I'm specifically talking about are the news agencies, AP, the revitalized UPI, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, public entities, NPR, PBS, uh, the main Silicon Valley uh, vehicles of uh, rigged or warp searching, such as Yahoo, or especially Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Apple, uh, Amazon, people who went after Parler. We know that they're warped and they're uh, not disinterested. They're not transparent and they have an agenda. They're not media anymore. They, they admit that. When I, on the rare occasions I'm asked to comment on a story, I always say I cannot because you're not truthful people and you will either warp what I say or you will not use it if it's contrary to what you want and you're not credible journalists, you're just political operatives. They're the young people that are tasked with that job of talk, you know, interviewing low, uh, non-influential people like myself are aghast. Oh, can't, you can't believe that. It's almost to say, well, I graduated from Columbia, journalism school with an MA. How can you say that about my employer? This is the best job you could get. But until we, the listeners, and all of us have contempt for these people, because that's what they deserve, they're still right. going to operate in a way that's very dangerous to the republic. We just have to say, you know what, you're not journalists. We're not going to take you seriously. And you know what's even worse is that this is not new. So James Clapper, to take two examples, and John Brennan signed that affidavit. But James Clapper told us that Donald, quote, was, Donald Trump, quote, was a Russian asset. 
Mm-hmm. And when he was going on the cable news programs, as was John Brennan, as was all of those guys, they were called in, remember, to the House Intelligence Committee when the Republicans still had the majority. And they were asked under oath, do you have evidence for what you just said publicly? And although that was in secret testimony, a lot of people leaked, including Democrats. And the message that came out of those testimonies is no. So in other words, think for a minute. Our intelligence leaders who had run the government intelligence bureau, Clapper, Brennan, and Comey, they were saying one thing when they were under oath, and they were saying another thing to the public. And then finally, lying is nothing new for them. I hate to be so cynical, but when Clapper said that Trump was a Russian asset and that was proved to be not true, he never apologized. He never apologized because he was asked under oath Remember, does a national right. security agency ever, ever surveil or monitor the communications of U.S. citizens? And he said, no, we wouldn't do that. And then later when it was shown that they did and that shown that further that he knew they did, he said, well, I gave the least untruthful answer. Get <laughs> that message what he did. He just said, yeah. I perjured myself before the U.S. Congress. And I perjured myself because I knew even though I was under oath, there would be no ramifications. Just like when John Britton was asked under oath, has CIA ever monitored the staffers' computers of U.S. senators? Oh, no, we wouldn't do that. Next question a little later. Has the administration ever killed anybody on these targeted drone operations? along the Pakistan-Afghan border that they shouldn't have, i.e. civilians, collateral. No, we haven't. And then they were both shown to be complete lies. And he never never said, I'm sorry, I lied. Or there was no federal prosecutor to step forward as there was with Robert Mueller. Why couldn't a federal prosecutor said, I'm seeking the indictments of John Brennan for lying under oath, of James Clapper for lying under oath. And by the way, I want to look at James Comey because on 245 occasions under oath, he said he could not remember or didn't know key elements about the Steele dossier and Fusion GPS, which sparked his investigation that he took on himself. And as a final fill-up, Robert Mueller spent $40 million of FBI, former director, and he spent 22 months and his entire case was based on the seated fake dossier that was seated by Fusion GPS. And guess what? He was asked directly on television, no less, can you tell us about Fusion GPS and the role and the Christopher Steele? And he said, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. That would be like Victor doesn't report his income taxes for 2020. And the IRS comes out here and they put me under oath and they restart recording. And I said, they said, Mr. Hansen, you didn't file a tin. I don't know anything about it. I don't know. I have no information about that. Or if I want to do the John Brennan, I can swear that I did. I did. Or I can be James Clapper and said, well, you know, I couldn't say I did. And I gave you the least untruthful answer I could. Mm-hmm. And what would happen to me? I'd be indicted and put in jail. And so this is what's really scary with this so-called administrative or deep state, especially this military industrial intelligence complex. And boy, when you add in the equation to that equation, the recent behavior of General Milley, 
mm-hmm. and uh, some of the other retired generals. And it's really scary that we have a lot of unelected, very powerful men in these positions of enormous influence that are acting in a political fashion contrary to their own purview. Right. Making, making big bucks and with no sense of honor, it seems. No it's, sense uh, of honor, no sense of remorse, no sense of empathy for the people whose lives they destroy, like Carter Page. Not one bit of empathy for him, not one bit of empathy for the people they th- put through hell with the Mueller investigation, not one bit of empathy that John Brennan has attacked mercilessly. And the fact that these people have security clearances and use them to parlay uh, their billets on television for profit. You know, I'm John Brennan. I'm James Clapper. Wink, nod. I have a security clearance and my sources tell me that's what they've been doing. John Brennan at least got his yanked. The others, all of them should not have it. None of them just have a rule that if you have a security clearance and you go on television and you testify or you comment or you say something about a strategic question and you reference at all the fact of your former position, and you use the word sources, then you should have that yanked. Well, Victor, that's all the time we have, except for a minute with some last minute things. One is uh, we thank our listeners uh, who uh, leave ratings. Uh, most 99.99% of those who've left ratings at iTunes have given Victor five stars very deservedly. We thank those who have done that. And especially those who take the time uh, to uh, leave a message And here's one uh, from the other day uh, from uh, someone who refers to himself or herself as Bisonberger, titling this remark, Eloquent and Wise. And Bisonberger writes, lots of pundits out there, none combine thought-provoking issues with rich historical fact like Victor. Americans are blessed to have a scholar like Victor, who is also a true patriot, who believes in the idea of America and loves this country. Listen to this podcast, educate yourself in history, and heed his warnings of the desperation to come if we don't turn this country around. Thanks, uh, Bison Berger. Uh, thanks to uh, our listeners. Again, victorhanson.com, very affordable uh, subscription to uh, read the plethora of wisdom Victor puts up on that website weekly. Uh, Jack Fowler, that's me. I uh, Please consider subscribing to Civil Thoughts, the newsletter that you can find that at civilthoughts.com and uh, also check out the Center for Civil Society.com. Happy fall, everybody. Thanks, Victor. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show, The Traditionalist. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, I very much appreciate it.